Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to the Find Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Michael. I'm a registered dietitian and sports nutritionist, and I'm talking with athletes and experts about the key actionable things you can do to improve your health and performance. So let's jump right in. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Find Your Edge podcast. This is your host, Michael, and I'm here with Chris Newport today for everybody's very favorite topic, sweat. So with North Carolina summers getting hotter, we thought now would be kind of a good time to hop on and start talking about sweat, hydration, uh, how to minimize our sweat losses, all of those things. So uh, Chris, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) So sweat, you know, give us, give us the backstory. What's the deal with sweat? Yeah. So um, I think it would be good to talk about actually when you were my intern Many years, right? (laughs) Many years ago. Um, So people kept coming to me being like, yeah, you know, I'm doing these Ironmans and I'm cramping and I don't know what's going on. And so it was just kind of, it was a little bit of a shot in the dark to just continue to say, okay, well, keep taking more salt tabs or uh, drink more or, you know, so it just felt like a little bit of, it felt like too much guessing as much as we're, as dietitians trained to be evidence-based it just didn't feel right to me so I started looking into sweat testing and how we could use that to better help our clients and that was actually under a different um I was under a different company then and and then had since you know started doing the sweat sweat testing and then um became the endurance edge and actually you were part integral um an integral part of getting that sweat testing kind of off the ground, you and our other dietitian, Sarah. So um, it was, I think for all of us, it was a really interesting learning curve and really quite fascinating as we've started to collect more and more people's data, how people sweat differently. And like in terms of their concentration, because we we can very easily figure out um, the amount lost. And then, so I, I feel like a lot of people are like, well, why should I get sweat tested when like, I know I lose a lot of, you know, I lose four pounds after a workout or whatever the case may be. Um, but it, it felt better to have more evidence to be able to create a very specific hydration plan, um, and fueling plan with in combination with metabolic testing for people to be able to confidently go into their race situation and, well and not have an issue with you know cramping or um, dehydration or hyponatremia or whatever and even outside of just like showing up to race as well it's about showing up to all of your training well because it's like you know for every hour that you race you're training you know 50 or 100 hours or whatever it is so i mean to be able to make sure that those hours spent training are quality hours um, i think it's a crucial part of that as well yeah i i i know i hear a lot of people are like oh you know train low or you know, uh, now granted, that's not necessarily talking about like electrolytes or hydration, but um, more about substrate use and like carbohydrate well, fat intake. But I have had people tell me that, that they say that they try to train without like fluids and stuff so they can teach their body to need less. Yeah, like, I that's, did. that's not that's, how your body works. <laughs> no, not at all. And, and yeah, very, very, very unwise, like yeah. incredibly unwise. That's like water and fluid is like the one thing that our body can't really do with less of. <laughs> no, not at all. So yeah, that is, that is not 
you know, and it takes you a long time, and I'm perhaps we'll get into this a little bit later about um, acclimatization and how important that is for your body. Um, so yeah, you can't, you can't try to like to, training is not about beating the snot out of yourself. <laughs> yeah. I think, and I mean, I've gotten into that with like a few of the recent episodes. Like I got into it with, um, Ben Turtz of the endurance collective. Like we talked about that, that like athletes are really good at pushing hard. And like, mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, I mean, from the perspective of like a coach or dietitian, that's like where we come into play to like help people like realize that it's okay to like reel it back in same thing from a nutrition perspective like right. people like want to like make things harder on themselves and like why are we trying to like make things harder from every perspective it's, like I, I just think I just think that this is all the sort of no no pain no gain mentality and yeah. it just absolutely does not have to be that way because we work with such a variety of athletes like sure there are a handful of professionals that we have come through here, but honestly, the majority of people we work with are everyday people who just want to yeah. do something great for themselves. And why would you bury yourself so frequently to do this race when you also have other obligations in yeah. to take care of? Yeah. And, and then absolutely. you end up get burning yourself out and, 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 and hating whatever sport it is that you're doing. And that's, yeah. that's, that like makes my soul hurt because I yeah. really just, I, I want people to have longevity in, in, in their sport. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, with sweat, there's kind of a couple of things to think about. And like, it's been one of those things that the more we test, the more I'm like, how can you make like any sort of recommendations without the testing? Like the more testing we do, the more I'm like, this is such a crucial and vital piece of the puzzle. Um, because like you said, it's just totally guesswork without getting the test results. I and completely so, agree. It's it, it, like, it makes me very uncomfortable when people are like, what should I drink? I'm like, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know. People do that. They're like, Oh, what's a good drink? I'm like, Oh, water is delicious. I don't, <laughs> have you tried lemon water? <laughs> oh, you mean for sports? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, and you know, that we've got a sweat database, um, an app that we collect all of our, um, all of our testing samples in. And in that we've got, I think it's at least 80, if not more different, it's probably closer to 200, quite honestly, yeah. I need to go back and count, um, all of the different, um, hydration products that are on the market. So I think we're, we we're even probably... have like, well, I was just gonna say we even have like pretzels and bananas in there. Yeah, I was gonna say we're probably due for an update because there. I know there's like a couple of drinks that have come out really quite recently. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, we scoured the internet for yeah. every possible sports drink we could find to put together I, this database. Yes. Yeah. So if you are um, a willing and interested intern, contact us because yeah. the last person who did that was an intern. And I thought she was going to be like, I never want to see another sports drink in my life because but like, it's a lot of work to put all that stuff in. And honestly, like doing that's actually hugely beneficial from like our perspective of, of the client interaction and practice, because even if you don't remember exact numbers on drinks, you're at least familiar and you kind of created like, not, I don't want to call it like a hierarchy, but like when you've gone through all of that and like, scour through all of the drinks and the data and like the numbers for like amount of sodium potassium all of that stuff then you kind of have like a frame of reference so you're like okay well gatorade's less sodium than infinite you know or whatever and you kind of like remember some of that and so it's like helpful from us because for our perspective 
because if someone needs lots of sodium, then you kind of know like what drinks are higher sodium just off the top of your head. But, you know, we don't have to remember the numbers because the database does it for us. Right, exactly. And there's, there's a lot of common ones that we can find in, in particular in our area, mm-hmm. but also, you know, people can find stuff online or people can make it themselves or they can have combinations of things. So it's not necessarily that they're going to be committed to one particular drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of Ironman athletes who do something for the bike and something for the run because then it avoids flavor fatigue because the whole point of hydrating is to continue to drink. And if they yeah. get sick of something or they don't want to drink anything for, you know, 10 hours, 12, 13, 14, 17 hours. Yeah. You can only drink, but so many lemons and limes. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> then it's like, okay, I need, I need to have some alternatives. And it's, uh, it's kind of like, like um, playing like a puzzle maker in a way or a puzzle put together or <laughs> like, okay, we well got worded. <laughs> sodium and carbohydrates in this drink. And then we're also going to have this food on the bike. And then for the run, we want to make sure that, you know, this is available on the aid station. So we'll do that at this regular interval and then have this on your person. So it, uh, it can get rather, um, I don't want to say complicated, but it, it just has to be well thought out. It, yeah. It I mean, there can be, there can be as win. much logistics or as little logistics as you want. Like you could have, like, I mean, I've had athletes that like just want it to be simple. They don't want to worry about different flavors and so they do one flavor the whole time. And then they just change it up like race to race what the flavor is. Mm-hmm. So they don't get flavor fatigue, but like yeah. throughout the course of like the same day, they'll just drink all the same flavor. And then I've had other people that like, get down to like each of their three bottles is like different. And like one of the bottles has caffeine and like, like yeah. some people can manage all those logistics. Some people just need it simple. Yes. Uh, completely agreed. And, and then it, it also depends on your race. And here we are in the middle of COVID when we're not even necessarily having races and what's the r- racing future going to look like. And will all of these things be available at our disposal? So there, the, the onus becomes more, <clears throat> on the athlete and like triathletes in my experience will carry anything they will be their bike will be like a walking living room or a rolling living room or kitchen you know they have everything they have all the things versus like marathon runners they want to run like half naked and 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 with nothing in their hands i'm like you've got to carry something i don't care how you do it you just got to figure something out so Yeah, it's just interesting how like different personalities and how that goes into the hydration piece. Definitely. And I mean, I think the other piece that so like kind of going back to the sweat basics, I mean, for like our purposes, there's primarily two parts to sweat that we worry about. There's the fluid mm-hmm. portion, and then the electrolytes. Right. And like, I always when I think of this, I always picture like, uh, I think it's called the Punnett square, like the genetics where you do like the cross. Yeah. And so like, I always picture that. And it's like, you can have low volume. <laughs> low electrolytes, mm-hmm. volume, high electrolytes, oh, high volume, you know, I like I picture that. Now. Yeah. And so like, I mean, we'll see people that will lose hardly any volume, but it'll be really concentrated. And so it's like, that's the piece where it becomes like really hard to just guess about it. Um, because the other pieces, I mean, there's a huge amount of variation. So what's like the lowest that we've seen someone sweat as far as electrolyte loss per hour? Like yeah, sodium, we, just sodium. I, I need to open our app right now. I think our lowest has been something like two, 200 250 or 250 is what I had in mind. But mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, and that is milligrams of sodium per hour. The reason why we're harping on sodium is it because uh, it is the one of the most important electrolytes that's lost in sweat. Um, the three that we test are sodium, um, potassium, and chloride. Um, but there's also magnesium and calcium and um, some other like trace minerals, but they're not as critical for that um, cell function. So that sodium, potassium, um, common change and everything. Right. Yeah. I feel like I'm like uh, going back to science class every time. No. I know I like when we start talking about that and like talking about just like sodium by itself and everything like I start picturing like the little like circle with the na plus in it and stuff you know like it's in textbooks yes yeah Um, uh so we've got sweat test minimums sweat test maximums we've got female sweat testing averages male sweat testing averages um so I mean that's a that's a good point is this just as important for men as it is for women women for men Yes, absolutely. And just looking quickly at these at these details, um, the female average sodium loss is seventy one point five, and the male average sodium loss is seventy point seven. But that's not so, milligrams, is it? Uh, yeah, that's like that's like our. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we convert everything to be able to help people. Um, so now that's our raw data that we get and then we convert it to milligrams so that people can translate it they're drinking. But um, that just goes to show that they're pretty dang close. Yeah. So a lot of these companies that, and, and nothing against them, right? But they're like, women sweat differently than men. I'm like, but do they really? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's not to say that more research and literature will come out about like, where a woman is in her um, menstrual cycle and does that affect her sweat losses? I don't yeah. know the answer to that. And that yeah. would be interesting to find out, but um, yeah. I mean, I think that one's hard too, because there's like pretty scattered research on it. I mean, like that's something I've looked at was if there was like variations in sweat composition or rate throughout the menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a lot of research that says no. And then there's some research that says yes. And so it's just like, there needs to be more research to kind of come to a more conclusive, like, finding. Yes. No, I It's just, like, real scattered. Just based on the, on a woman's cycle, it really becomes more of an issue if you're on, like, that day one of your menstrual cycle or on more of an ovulation day. So really, in in my mind, at least, just because that's when you have the biggest uh, fluctuation in hormones. Um, and that's usually where people tend to feel either the best or the worst. And then is it, uh, hydration or is it just because you feel darn great or you feel darn terrible? Yeah. Um, and that's something that, you know, doesn't matter how much you drink, it's, it's not gonna fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yay, Um, hormones. (laughs) So that kind of gets into another question that I've gotten asked a lot recently. And like, I know my answer and what I tell people, but I kind of want to get your answer on it. So how often should someone do a sweat test? Ooh, I think that's a good one. I think it depends on the, um, the climate in which you are doing your regular event and or training. So I definitely recommend doing one. If you're going to be doing a lot of training in the winter, do one then. And if you're going to be doing a lot of training and racing in the summer, do one then. 
you want to try to mimic the conditions that you are training in or racing in as best as possible because that's going to give you the the best information. Yeah. <clears throat> that's kind of what I tell people too is like I in an ideal world we would do it seasonally like if you're if you're a year-round athlete so like a lot of cyclists runners and triathletes tend to do their activities year-round even if you're not in like a peak training season they're still like do training you're still doing all of the sports or at right. least most of them um although it does become more uh, generally in training like well it depends on the sport that you're doing but from our perspective of like training and, and helping out a lot of cyclists, runners, and triathletes, um, they're probably not going to pass out in their pain cave on their trainer. Yeah, like that's, you know, they have access so they can just like reach down and grab a bottle of water or whatever. Like they can walk into the kitchen and get something to eat it, and their pace is managed. But when they're racing and they're, you know, it, it just is a little bit, different generally. So I'm, I'm not as concerned about people who are training for an hour or less at mm-hmm. home or even outside with some exceptions. And we have seen some really impressive exceptions for the amount of losses that people can have in less than an hour. But yes. generally speaking, um, it's, <clears throat> it's more of an issue with racing just because you're pushing yourself that much more. Yeah. Yeah. So So, I mean, we talked about like what the low end of sweat can be. And I think the issue there is that like, if you're following the same mindset as someone who's like losses are really high and you're trying to put in, you know, 2000 milligrams of sodium an hour and you're only losing 250, like what's, what's the issue there? Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, you could, you could put your life at risk. Um, the, the biggest risk is hyponatremia. So basically you're having too much fluid for not enough electrolytes. But if you're having too many electrolytes and not enough fluid, you're just going to put yourself into a a heap of a mess as well. Um, You know, dehydration is the biggest issue for the majority of people, but then it's also a matter of appropriately cooling. Mm -hmm. Um, When it, because generally speaking, this is going to be an issue in the heat, but that's Mm -hmm. not always the case. It just depends on the, on, on the person. But we had, we had one gal who came in, she was in the hospital. They were about to drill a hole in her head to release the pressure on her brain. Um, it was after Ironman Chattanooga. I think that uh, that would have been maybe about three years ago now. It was like 95 degrees. People were falling out like flies. Um, I think they had something like eight or 900 people who had to get some sort of like medical help. Um, and she just kept thinking to herself, like, I just got to keep stay hydrated. I just got to stay hydrated. And she just kept pushing fluid and pushing fluid and pushing fluid. And when we had her come into the lab, she really hardly lost any fluid at all. Um, she had re- relatively, actually, I would I would call her probably on the lower end of um, total fluid losses. Mm-hmm. And her electrolyte losses really weren't all that bad either. So she was just diluting and diluting and diluting and diluting um, that entire time and, and got hyponatremia and the, and the doctors didn't know how to deal with her appropriately. And apparently like her angel doctor finally at the very like last minute came in and gave her the appropriate medication to, to drain her brain. That is absolutely hands down the most dangerous part of inappropriate hydration, but you can also, you can also pass out. Um, you know, you'll generally come back if you're dehydrated versus hyponatremia. Um, you'll generally come back. It might take you a couple of days and you might feel terrible. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, 
uh, you'll probably be in the fetal position for a good amount of time if you have too many electrolytes and not enough fluid. So yeah. it's, it's really crucial that you get that mixture right. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like, everyone's always so worried about dehydration that we don't like think about the fact that you can overdo it as well. Uh, and so yeah. preventing, preventing both, there's kind of like the Goldilocks thing where you want it just right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, some of the common mistakes that we see are people just drinking water, like you said, um, mm-hmm. that can definitely feed into the hyponatremia, especially on like multi-hour training sessions or races or anything like that. Um, there's not getting enough of the fluid, not getting enough electrolytes or alternatively getting the too much, um, the wrong amount of carbs. Why, why is that such an important piece of the hydration puzzle? Yeah. So you have to have fluid electrolytes and carbohydrates to have that appropriate absorption in the body. And I think that that is a big piece that a lot of people miss, especially in this sort of like, it's almost like a little bit of a, um, like a low carb mentality. Like I can get away without those carbs. I'm such a great fat burner, which, which, you know, is fine. And we want you as an endurance athlete, at least to be a really good fat burner. It depends on which sport you're in. Um, but you, you, that's a critical piece to be appropriately absorbent. Mm-hmm. So you, you can't leave that out. Yeah. And same thing, you want to get that right, because if you have too much, then it's backing up in your system and keeping the fluid and electrolytes from getting like moving through your GI tract to get absorbed. Um, so again, just one of those, that's like, it's important to have the right balance and the carbs are such a funny one. Like to your point, like some people are just like trying to avoid them and stuff. And I see it a lot where people are like, what's your lowest carb? Like, what's the lowest carb drink? Like I'm trying to like lose some weight. And like, that's like a hard thing because the thing I always tell athletes is like the time to lose weight is not before, during, or right after your workout. Like that's not the time to think about cutting no. out calories. That's no. the time for us to like really plan out those calories to make sure we're fueling properly, crushing our workout, and then recovering properly. And then throughout the rest of the day, we can look at, you know, ways to, to finagle calories if, if like weight loss is like a desired outcome. But during your workout is not the time to start like really cutting calories. No, not at all, because the implications can be um, pretty, pretty dire. And, it, yeah. and again, it goes back to my point of like, I like for people to enjoy the sport and I want them to have good quality workouts and be able to place the appropriate amount of overload in order to get the appropriate amount of benefit and fitness gain from their workout. So um, getting the right amount of carbs is, is definitely is definitely important. And it, it depends on the intensity of your workout too, which hopefully that's not making it too complicated for people, but yeah. Um, yeah. We help people with that as well, based on their substrate use from their metabolic testing and substrate is generally fat and carbohydrates. And uh, you're going to, the slower you go or the easier your workout is, the more fat you're burning, but that depends very specifically on the person. And then the faster you go, and, and also the lower you go, the easier it is to digest. The faster you go, the less blood flow there is to the, um, to the gut, which makes it harder to digest. And the more carbohydrates you're burning and the less fat you're burning. So that, that sometimes has to, has to make a little bit of a shift based on what distance and what intensity. Yeah. And I, um, there was like some startling number about like how much, blood flow can be shunted away from the gut, like especially at really high intensities, like that zone four, four zone five. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it was like, it's 80%. 80 yeah, yeah. I was going to say an 80% mm-hmm. reduction in blood flow to the gut. 
And so like your, your body has a hierarchy, right? It has yeah. to make your brain function. It has to have your heart function. It has to have your lungs function. Um, kidneys and liver are also essential as well, but that makes everything else. And then, oh, by the way, you're also pushing your skeletal muscles, which are generally not high on the rung in terms of priority, but you're making them move. So what gets the back end of things or what gets the short end of the stick is your digestive tract. Yeah. Um, and there have been instances, um, multiple instances of people having necrotic guts pushing that. So like, if you want to Google him, Chris Lee, L-E-G-H, um, did an Ironman um, multiple years ago now, but had pushed himself so hard because he was like not feeling well at the beginning of the race, And then he continued to vomit throughout the entire bike ride and the entire run and still pulled off, I don't know, like a nine hour something yeah event like some something just absolutely ridiculous but collapsed like right before the finish line and had to be transported to the hospital and his wife happened to be a nurse which is a good thing because she was able to identify a lot of these like this is not right and as it turns out part of his gut literally died and they yeah had to remove it yeah like, like that, you had to have a resection problem. yeah yeah Oof. Crazy. i don't know i don't know i love my colon i'm just saying yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't want to have to like, I don't want to have to rearrange things inside me without no. like, if it's not necessary, you know, yeah. so like yeah. prevent it at all costs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, thinking about that, there's a huge amount of variation in how much actual volume someone loses. There's a huge amount of variation in the concentration of the fluid that they're losing, like the concentration of the sweat. Right. But like the other piece of that is like, you know, when it's 90 some degrees outside, like in North Carolina summer and it's 80 some, 90 some percent humidity, like you're going to be sweating a lot. Yeah. So I mean, what, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So what, I mean, sweat is a good thing. Yeah. So sweat sweating serves a good purpose. mechanism of cooling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a bad thing. A lot of people are like, Oh gosh, I don't want to sweat. I'm like the faster you sweat, the fitter you are. Yeah. That, that's a good thing. Yeah. Cause your body's just responding really quickly to yep. changes in core body temperature and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, but you know, when it's 90 some degrees outside and someone has really high volume and high concentration losses, we need to start looking at other strategies too, to help mitigate the losses. Because if someone's losing 3000 milligrams an hour mm-hmm. and Absodium. 40 or 50 yeah. ounces of fluid, like we can't right. possibly replace all of that. No. Um, some of the highest losses that we've seen, um, I, um, we've seen up to 70 ounces of loss in an hour. Like that's, that's crazy. And if you think of like a liter being about 32, 33 ounces. Um, so, so twice that, and also, uh, a pint to pound the world around. So two cups of liquid is a pound of, you know, of weight. Um, so we want to try as best as we can to try to, I, I tell people, I try to limit their losses to about 1%. So we do want to lose some, that's totally normal. But when we start hitting that 2% mark or greater, then we start to see performance losses. Mm-hmm. Um, so as much as we can um, mitigate that, and just like you were, you were kind of asking or, or were discussing it, we get more into strategies for how can we prepare ourselves in the immediate period beforehand? Cause I think one of those common mistakes too, that, and you may get this question a lot too. People are like, 
So the day before I race, I just drink Gatorade all day. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I don't tell that to them, but I'm telling you guys that that's yeah. just an awful idea. Your kidneys are able to function on a minute to minute basis and um, being able to uh, judge how hydrated you are and it's going to filter all that appropriately. So getting extra electrolytes in in the days leading up, it's not necessarily the best strategy. Um, I try to make sure that people aren't necessarily like completely going without a salt shaker. I had to convince one guy to buy a salt shaker because he was losing so much salt. Yeah. Like you have to salt your food before you go out for your workouts. Like, you know, put salt on your oatmeal, put salt on your eggs, like whatever it is that you're, put it on your peanut butter and jelly sandwich because you need it. So it's creating those different strategies of what's going to work in the period immediately before they start working out, when they start working out in terms of like how quickly they need to start focusing on hydration. For some people, they can go a full hour and not take anything, mm -hmm. zero. But other people with really hefty losses, both in electrolytes and in fluid, have to start that process immediately beforehand and like pretty much right away. Um, and that's not something that we can, like how do we generally tell people like, this is how you hydrate. like you know, to your point of saying, like, I don't know how we would do it without having this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's really just a shot in the dark without this. And like, with us having seen the variation that we've seen, like, I think about like, what if we like, had to do this without like, the actual sweat testing? And it's like, I, I mean, I don't, would it be, it would be a six month process. You'd start at like 250 milligrams of sodium and like no fluid and start working your way up until like, they started gaining weight during a workout and then you back back. I mean, that just like, sounds like such a that's, terrible process. Yeah. And that's, that's like the word, like you don't, you absolutely do not want to gain weight during a workout. That's, that's pushing you into that hyponatremia, which is absolutely the most dangerous yeah. um, part of, uh, part of incorrectly hydrating. So what about like cooling strategies? I mean, like ice vests have been like a hot thing for like, especially cycling during warmups, runners sometimes wear them during warmups before a race or something like that to keep core temperature down. Um, like for my time in cycling, we would stick like ice down our jerseys during really long road races and stuff. Um, but like, where does that kind of stuff come into play? Like, is that a valid strategy? I absolutely. I mean, so again, sweat is your body's method of cooling. And if you can assist your body in that, in that process, um, you're doing yourself a, a world of a world of good. So um, there's been some new literature that's come out in terms of comparing um, hydrating and various cooling methods and the impact on core temperature and the and then the ensuing impact on performance. And it's it's huge. Like so, when we have a conversation about hydration, you have to have a conversation about cooling strategies. Like that's. But in particular for those people who are really, really suffering, either they're cramping a ton or um, we had one gal, do, do you remember this gal who came in and she literally would like pass out the end of races every single yep. time. And she thought that that was normal. Like that's yeah. a giant problem. She thought she was just like pushing hard enough. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, not so much. Um, so cooling strategies, there can be, so I think of it as um internal cooling strategies and external cooling strategies. So the internal ones are um, the ones that have been, have been researched are like ice slurries. Um, so basically you are ingesting things that are very, very calm. So keep in mind that you can't just by like drinking your sports drink, you're not going to like automatically cool yourself. Sure. You're 
helping with the amount of sweat that you're losing and you're, and you're um, helping to not go too far down the road of, of losing too much fluid, but you have to actually cool yourself. And so those ice slurries um, can help right before a race um, or a training session or a game or whatever sport you're, you're doing. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, that's to that point, that's one of the things we've seen is like, even if someone's getting like the right amount of fluid and electrolytes, you can still overheat. Yes. Sure. And so like, this is just combating the other side of it. So it's like, we're taking care of hydration and fluid, but it's like, you also have to make sure you're staying cool enough because like you said, right amount of fluid and electrolytes alone do not help with that necessarily. Yeah. They don't Correct. solve that. Correct. Yeah. So, um, thinking about different ways to cool yourself other than, you know, the, the internal cooling methods really just some sort of like very, very, very cold, um, fluid ingestion. So it could be like making yourself a little gorge drink, um, slurry right before you start uh, a race and that might not be possible like let's say you're doing the boston marathon like yeah i'm just gonna bring my blender with me and where are you gonna hook it up like yeah nope. um, but that's like i mean like you can think about that as like at aid stations in an iron man or on the running course like in like the gatorade or powerade coolers that they've got they usually ice down the fluid that's in there so it's like same concept you're taking in cold fluids yes yes so um you know it could be using um insulated bottles um, freezing, um, freezing bottles before you like, you know, the night before an event, and that's um, what I, I have frozen a straw <laughs> uh, in a, like in a, like an arrow bottle. And by the time I got to the bike, I like go to take a sip and <laughs> it was still frozen. Dang. So you have to be smart about the way you freeze it. Yeah. I mean, that's what we did in cycling though. And cycling with like road races is a unique thing because you have essentially, usually it's a loops of a smaller course and there's a feed zone that you ride through where someone can hand you fresh bottles, food, whatever. Right. Um, and so that's what I would do is like, my dad would usually come out with me, um, and hand me, like he would do the feeds for me. Um, and so we would have like a big cooler that had bottles and we would figure out beforehand, like what bottles I was getting when, um, and he would That's keep so them in the cooler. Cool. He would keep them in the cooler all the way until he saw the like group coming through and then he'd get out the bottles that he knew I wanted and he would hand me my bottles. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you have a pit crew, man, that's, yeah. I mean, so that was nice because every lap, I mean, laps depending on the road race, obviously it's totally different based on the course, but you could expect that about every hour or two, I was getting fresh bottles. So I was getting cold fluids every hour or two. And that's, that's crucial, right? That internal cooling method is, is huge. So the external cooling methods are much uh, per, perhaps more abundant, like the cooling vest that you mentioned. There's that. Um, there's literally dousing yourself in um, cold or icy fluid. Like those bottles that your dad might have been handing is like one goes in and maybe one yep. goes in your helmet. I would helmet. get one sports drink and one water and I would dump the water on like my helmet, my back and everything. Um, it's funny when you said the like putting like dousing yourself in cold fluids like immediately what I picture is Ironman world championships and when the pros come through those feed stations where they've got like the buckets of ice that people yeah. can grab them dunking themselves in it yeah I mean it's the, the it's all about core temperature management yeah. and the fastest athletes generally have the highest core temperatures at the end of the race um now, granted, the, you know, then there's the rest of us, us, us normal people who don't, you know, uh, run at the speed of lightning. Um, it's still, it's still important to like physically keep yourself cool. So I know at like running races or Ironmans or, you know, just general triathlons, oftentimes they'll have sponges that they'll soak in um, 
cold fluids, there's things that you could do, like from a triathlon perspective, you could put things in a little cooler in your transition area and take that extra one or two seconds to grab um, an icy sponge and stick it in your sports bra or stick it in your hat. Uh, or, you know, I've seen people like put it on the sides of their like visor. Um, so those kind of key things to, even if it's for a couple of minutes to mm-hmm. cool yourself. And in fact, we've seen some sort of like psychosomatic cooling where even just holding an ice pack or holding an ice cube makes you kind of think that you're feeling cooler um, and, and helps with that process too, which seems kind of bizarre, but it actually works. Yeah, definitely. Um it's funny because like when I'm holding something really cold, I'm always like, Oh, it's just cooling the blood that's like going to my hand and coming back. And so like, <laughs> you know, but, but when you're racing, anything seems reasonable. You're yeah. like, yes, yes, that's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like an actual pro tip and we've talked about this one before, but this is something I picked up from cycling, but just like taking, like I would go to CVS and buy like dollar packs of pantyhose and you're just like, Oh Yeah and you fill it with ice, tie the end. So it's like a closed thing and you can just tuck it down the back of your Jersey or your tri top. And as it melts, it gets flat. And Michael, then all you have is like empty I, pantyhose. I feel a blog post coming on. We yeah. need some pictures or yeah. like maybe a little YouTube video so that yeah. people can see that. Cause that is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, re- really, right? Yeah. Then well, what I mean, are you carrying when you're done? Yeah. Just the pantyhose. Yeah. And so that's like, um, that's what I would use in cycling is, um, like during, especially really hot races, like, you know how they have the bags that they'll hand up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had some of those and like my dad would put a bottle or two in there and one of the ice packs and I would just snatch the whole bag instead of having to like stop and grab three bottle, two bottles right. in a, and so then I just put the bottles on my bike, take the pantyhose out, shove it down the back of my Jersey. And then next lap through, I could just throw out the empty pantyhose. Mm-hmm. So, or, or honestly, Stuff in your pocket, yeah. Right, stuff it in your pocket or, I mean, shoot, it's, or just yeah. there. Um, so I can't tell you the last time I bought pantyhose, but that is a good reason to do it. Yeah, on <laughs> oh, it's dirt cheap because nobody's buying it, so. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, maybe we'll have to put like a quote-unquote recipe for, you know, your yeah, pantyhose we'll, ice slurry. Yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it as a video, like it's just like a short YouTube tutorial on how to yeah. Like a pantyhose ice pack. <laughs> yeah, because that like Framework. yeah, you could put that in, in your cooler in your transition area. You could put that like let's say you're a soccer player, same thing. Like you could have that in the cooler next to your next to the bench. Um baseball, same thing. Like I I was a softball player growing up, like you could put it in the dugout. Um yeah, I mean it's it's so crucial to keep yourself well, especially for those team sports because they like I think like of the clothes they wear, they tend to be looser. So it's like, you're not going to have clothing that's going to hold the pantyhose in place while you're playing or anything. So that's, I think where like the ice sponge that you like the cold water sponge really comes into play because you can like wipe everything down and like squeeze cold water down your Jersey or uh, down your shirt or whatever. Although women do have a little bit of an advantage there because you could just drop it in your sports bra. Yeah. You clearly could not do that, but (laughs) I mean, that's, that's a benefit of, of, having that right there. And then it's like right by your heart. Yeah. So close to your core as possible. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. So that's, that's really the important part is keeping that core temperature down. And some interesting research I just came across uh, recently was how you can't manage core temperature. Like I'm going to take my forehead temperature or my ear temperature. Um, The most accurate temperature methods are, are, there's three of them and all three of them are only in settings in a lab and I'll give you a little hint at one of them but it goes up 
an area that you probably don't want to expose in the yeah. middle of the race. <laughs> well, that's, that's so funny that you said that because that one of the articles, like the research articles that I saw about uh, hydration throughout like the menstrual cycle and like sweat losses, they took core temperature, like using a rectal thermometer mm-hmm. during exercise, during this test. And I'm just like, who, first of all, who signed up for that research? Who was like, <laughs> yes, let me run on the treadmill for you and you can collect my sweat. But then also mid test, we're going to stop and you're going to take a rectal temperature. Yep. That's, that's, that's the most accurate way. So if you feel like, oh, I'm going to keep my core temperature down and I'm going to, you know, measure my temperature at regular intervals, it's, it's not, you're going to get an inaccurate reading. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so that's a little bit harder to say like, well, then what's an actionable item that I can do. But again, I think we're talking about all those different cooling methods. Um, of keeping your keeping your body as cool as possible so you know Danny has little ice pack or you know ice packs like those disposable ice packs too that you can stick in a sports bra or yeah. a cooling vest or if it's legal um wearing light clothes mm-hmm. i mean those those are one of the things like it just made made me think of when you mentioned like your jersey as like a soccer player um our local team is the ncsc um men's team and then the north carolina courage um, they have navy blue jerseys. They have either white or navy blue. And uh, navy blue ain't, ain't, ain't gonna help you. <laughs> Newsflash, navy blue is not a light color. <laughs> I mean, it looks sharp. Like, they look amazing. But yeah. when it's hot, uh, you don't want the that color um, absorbing all that extra heat from the sun. Um, same with black. And I'm all about, mm. some, you know, black. Um, yeah. I mean, it's sleek. It looks good. It does, right? I mean, that was like, I think when I was riding a lot and I was like at the peak of my career, that was one of the benefits I had was that like white was the hotness at the time. Like white shoes, white socks, white jerseys, white helmets, like white was the hotness. And so like, it was perfect. But now it's like trends have swung the other way towards like dark, like black, grays, stuff like that, or um, like really bright colors, which, you know, that's better than black but True. yeah so so colors that are not going to absorb as much heat and then you know of course as a cyclist you do have a little bit of a benefit because you've got some level of convection mm-hmm. and if you're um a soccer goalie and you're just standing there that's like you have yeah. no convection you have you're, you're wearing extra equipment so mm-hmm. you're putting yourself more at risk and you have to be that much more cognizant of cooling methods or, you know, having a bottle next to the goal, um, or things like that that you can pour over your head. So it's, and then reminding yourself, cause we get so, especially kids, um, because we're, we've been working with some youth athletes, kids get like so focused, like I've got to perform and I've got to do this. You know, I'm like really focused on, on, you know, helping out my teammate or where's the ball or, um, and I, I would say that we're all probably guilty of this at some point, but then you just stop thinking about like, oh yeah, I need to hydrate. Yeah. Well, I think that's the other thing too, with like team sports that's really difficult versus um, like the endurance sports is like endurance sports because of like the fact like with running, cycling, triathlon, any of those trainings, you're going usually through like different places. So it's like, you'll go through patches of shade. You'll go through like clearings that have, a breeze and stuff like that but like Mm -hmm. team sport athletes are always on a field with no trees around nope and so like you're always just baking in the sun for 
the whole time you're out there, warm up, game time, post game. So it's like two and a half, three hours. You're just sitting in the sun cooking. Which makes me think um, another method of making sure that you do not overheat is sunscreen. Yeah. And that's one that I don't think a lot, you know, a lot of people, some people are good at and some people aren't. Um, but if you can keep your skin from burning, um, which if your skin burns, then there's no way that that heat that you, that you uh, create in your uh, body can release. Mm-hmm. So it's huge to keep yourself um, from burning. So sunscreen is part, part of that strategy. Yeah. Sure that you stay cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, you kind of mentioned it with like actionable things. So like what out of all of this are like the actionable things people can do to actually improve health performance, all of that through like the sweat, cooling, all of that that we've talked about, like two to three things. Um, okay. So I think some of this we've definitely touched on and some of it we haven't, I mean, you, you have to, you have to have a plan no matter what. So you have to have a strategy. It's not like, oh, maybe I'll drink when I'm thirsty because thirst is not necessarily always the best indicator mm-hmm. of hydration, um, especially if you're in um, Ironman situations or ultra endurance situations. Um, so thinking, always kind of thinking ahead of yourself a little bit, like being a boy scout or being a girl scout and thinking through those, those things like, oh, I'm just going to be gone for an hour. I may not, and it's really hot out. I may not need a water bottle, Like just take something just in case. You don't know if you're going to like fall and twist your ankle or, you know. Or fall and scrape yourself and want to like irrigate it. it, Exactly. Yeah. So um, plan things out, take care of yourself because you are, you know, you're awesome. Um, and then I would also say if you can get in the habit of, especially if you're somebody who tends to sweat a lot or you're going to be sweating for a long time, um, then do get in the habit of regular pre and post weigh-ins. And this is not like, this is not a bit like a vanity thing. You're just looking for the Delta. Mm -hmm. How much weight did you actually lose? I, and you know, you can be very scientific about it. Like people are when they come in and get their sweat testing done at our office, or if they do the mail away sweat testing program, we're very specific about how they have to do that. But honestly, as long as you get some level of change and computing that change to try to keep that within 2% of your total body weight. So if you can take your total body weight, multiply it by 2%, that's the amount that you want to try to lose a little bit less than that. And you definitely don't want to gain. So have a plan or a strategy, um, do that pre and post, weigh in. Um, and then, you know, I mean, if, if you're doing this frequently enough and your performance is really crucial or it really matters to you, then I mean, certainly I'll do the, I'll do the, uh, shameless plug because like, like we've said, you know, come, come, come to our office and do sweat testing, or we now have a home sweat testing kit. So we can mail it to you, you do yourself in your home conditions, and then we mail it off because that it's really game changing. Mm-hmm. totally and I, I'm not trying to be you know yeah. uh, like yay buy our things but it's 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 just really eye-opening for a lot of people mm-hmm. too. yeah I mean I would I would kind of echo all of that uh, making a plan and sticking to it um, doing the pre-post way is a really good way to kind of monitor how your hydration plan is working so like even if someone does the testing with us and creates a plan I still encourage them every once in a while to do the pre-post way to see how that plan is like, does it need to be updated or changed? Because if you're doing the plan as we planned it out, 
and you're still losing 3%, then like there's a gap there. There's something that we need to readdress. Um, so it's a good, it's a good way to monitor that. And then knowing your needs. I mean, like I said at the beginning, like the more we do this testing, the more it like cements to me how crucial it is for, for like really getting this dialed in. Yes. Agreed. And I know we didn't really talk about it a whole lot, but, um, if you really need to get even more nitty gritty and more dialed in, um, you can do urine osmolality mm-hmm. um, or your urine specific gravity, which is actually a really easy tool these days. I did it in my thesis for my case study that I did. And, um, and that was a very extensive uh, contraption back in the day, but now you can get them on, on Amazon or, uh, you know, like a medical supply store. For- yeah. What's, what's the thing called? It, uh, oh gosh, now you're going to, um, it's a refractometer. Is that yeah, it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Nice job. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a refractometer. All you need, um, it, it's based, it looks like, I mean, for lack of a better word, it looks like cigar. Uh, to me, it always looks like the thing that a doctor looks in your ear with that thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a, that's a, and it's got like a little, um, clear area on the end and like a little, um, like glass piece that flips up and you pee in a cup. So you have to have a cup <laughs> to pee in. Um, and you also need a pipette. So those are also cheap things that you can get. I would encourage you to label your cup. So no one drinks <laughs> it. <laughs> and then you take a little drop of that urine and you put it on the screen and close the little uh, lid and you look through the other end and it shows you where your where your um your in specific gravity is and what's hydrated and what's not so that's kind of one of those things to help with somebody who's really losing a lot or having tendency to cramp or um you know casting out or things like that that are you know you're this is more crucial to know whether you're hydrated going in so doing that you're in specific gravity beforehand um, is a pretty cheap way if you are at danger of um of really you know, having some dire consequences. So I know we didn't talk yeah. about that now or a lot and maybe we'll put a link to it. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll put a link cause I actually found one on Amazon. It's weird. There's a lot of them for pets. Yes. Like yeah, I know that a lot, that was a a lot of, a lot of vet versions. Yeah. So there's a lot of them, but like I found this one that monitors urine specific gravity and serum protein. Um, but it's for humans. It's like 25 bucks. Yeah. So it's like so, you can find them real cheap. We, we try to work with actually like local sports teams to try to get their at-risk players to do that um, and to like kind of train them on that. And, you know, we can train our own athletes as well to do that. If that's something that you want to do, but then of course you have to buy the pipettes and then you just throw them away. Um, so that's if you really need to like take it to the next level. But I think, um, you know, making sure that you have that more specific plan of what what you're going to do for hydration is, is crucial. And then those cooling methods are important as well. So hopefully yeah. we've given people enough, people, enough things to actual items to, to think about. For sure. And I think the other piece of the hydration thing, I mean, this just made me think of it. And I don't know why I didn't say it sooner, but like the other piece of the hydration is like hydration is not just important during your fit, like actual activity. Like it's important to be hydrated the rest of the day. Yeah. Like if you head into workouts, super dehydrated, even if you nail your hydration during, you're going to walk out dehydrated. You're not performing your best. Um, so like hydration just throughout the day too, getting enough fluid, um, like water and everything is just crucial for health and life. Yes. Agreed. So. I mean, uh, appropriate brain function and, yeah. and the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. So the, th- yeah. the thing I always say is hydration is the key to success. So 
Oh, very nice. I like that. Maybe you All should right. put, also put that in your show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that'll just be the name of the episode is hydration is the key to success. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that way we're not we've... nerding out on like heat mitigation strategies. Yeah. And you know, I'm trying not to scare people away. <laughs> very <laughs> um, nice. So I think we covered a lot of good stuff. I mean, we kind of talked about how you can figure out your losses, how we can kind of like work to create a plan to replace them, but then also really getting into like, especially through these really hot months, how you can utilize cooling methods and like what some of the cooling methods out there are and ways you can kind of keep a core temperature down. So from both perspectives, how to make sure we're getting enough fluid and electrolytes, how to make sure we're staying cool. And both of those, especially during these hot months are really important pieces to making sure that we're performing our best, feeling our best, all of that. Absolutely. Good summary. Cool. All right. Uh, any final thoughts? Um, stay safe y'all for sure. And, yeah. and then if you um, have any questions or need any more information about our sweat and metabolic testing, then check out our website. Um, we just released that home sweat testing kit. Yeah. Like what, like a week ago or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So I'll link that below as well. If that's something you're interested in, you can also, um, I know that there's like the homemade sports drink. That's something you kind of quickly glossed oh, over that's, earlier. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Yes. Yeah. So we've got that on our blog. I can link that as well, but, um, yeah, definitely check us out. And our Andrew. hydration guide. Yeah. Our so, hydration guide has a, like a little, uh, urine color chart. And that was also one thing that we didn't necessarily talk about, which is important for, um, predicting, um, when you're hydrated, that's one, one cheap method. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, we're, we're scientists. So we like to go yeah. to a specific gravity route. <laughs> yeah. So, um, definitely like go to our website, check out the endurance edge.com. Um, the hydration guide is on there. You can sign up and just get that for free. It's a free download. Um, and the blog's on there. Sweat test is on there. I'll link all of that though. Um, check us out on Facebook, the endurance edge yep. We're on Twitter at, at, your edge in C mm -hmm. and on the grams it's the endurance <laughs> edge. Yeah. So, um, check us out, connect with us. Um, definitely subscribe to the podcast, uh, review it helps us out a lot. So we really appreciate that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, keep listening. Hope you guys enjoy it. Awesome. Thanks Michael.